Hey everybody, Dan and Steve here. Forgot to mention this at the top of the episode, which is completely my fault. So recording this after the fact to let you know that we have a big giveaway for you. We are giving four tickets to the Saturday afternoon session that starts at 12 p.m. on June 5th to the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. This session is going to feature Less Than Jake and the Suicide Machines as your headlining music acts, as well as over 100 breweries, tons of events, games, stuff you can do. Most of it's free. There's raffles, giveaways, all this kinds of crazy stuff. We'll be there hanging out for tickets for free. Value of this comes close to about $300. There's not many tickets left. All you have to do is follow these simple instructions that Steve is going to give you. Yes, four very easy steps. One, you're going to want to follow us on Instagram at Process Potables. You're going to want to like the post about the to giveaway. Then you're going to want to tag three friends who you would like to bring to the event. And then you're going to want to share it to your Instagram story. That's all you have to do to win four free tickets to the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. Again, it is the second session. It is Saturday, June 5th at noon. We will announce the winners on our podcast live Tuesday night. It'll be on Twitch, so you can find it there, twitch.tv slash processpotables, or it'll be in the pod, obviously, if you just listen to it that night or the next day. Uh, Contact us in regards to how to obtain the tickets, and then we will look forward to seeing you hanging out with us in Atlantic City next weekend. Be ready to drink. Now here is a brand new Process Potables. Are you ready? Hey, think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Degenerate into something fool We just got tired of doing what you told us to do That's a brace, boy Yeah That's a brace, little man Break it down Degeneration of Tell me what to do. Welcome, everybody, to episode 88 of Process Potables. This episode is titled, If You're Not Down With The Process, We've Got Two Words For You. If you can't tell, Sixers are confident, we're confident, up 2-0 on the Wizards. It is a strange feeling to be this comfortable, to be this confident, and we're going to get to that because I think that the team is just giving Off that kind of energy, I'm joined by Steve, as usual. Steve, before we get to anything basketball-related, I just thought that it was really important that we did an entire segment on the popcorn incident with Russell Westbrook. So here Mm. is our segment on Russell Westbrook having popcorn spilt on him. Fuck that fan. Ban him forever. That's it. Yeah. Cool. Glad we covered it. So we're going to talk about (laughs) basketball now. And the Sixers are up 2-0 on the Wizards. Steve, neither of these games have felt terribly close. They really doesn't seem there's been any point where we've had the 
typical Sixers existential dread. So before we go into detail about why that is, looking at a bigger picture, I think it comes down to simply, and I ask you this, are we that good or are the Wizards that bad? Both? I yeah, know I mean, that's the easy way, yeah, I mean, but... You're probably right. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's definitely both, dude. And, and it's just crazy because if you just sit back and reflect... Like, if you're a fan going back to 01 when the Sixers had their last actual run, like, it's, it's been 20 years since most of us have felt this way. You know, we're just destroying the Wizards, and, like, that's what a number one seed's supposed to do. And it's just, like you said, it's just strange having this feeling of confidence, and, you know, there isn't something else that's lingering, like, oh, but so-and-so is hurt or like like there's like all those little concerns and fears are just out the window right now like even last night when everyone rolled their fucking ankle i i mean like it just all right they came back like everything's fine we're gonna be okay and i just i'm just enjoying it man it's great the tobias ankle definitely made me sick for a minute i was really worried the seth one you know we're going to talk about both these guys i think that you could live with a Seth injury for a little bit. You obviously are, you know, want him around. It's not a knock on Seth at all, but right. Seth is is replaceable to an extent by a lot of guys on this team, which we're fortunate. When you talk about the 2001 team, though, man, like this is not to me. It's not the same at all. We were obviously much younger, but like every series went. I think they would they go six seven seven on their way to the yeah, finals. Yeah, right. Like they weren't dominating anybody. Obviously, they were the one seed and they were an incredible team. But we were nail biting every step of the way. And obviously, we anticipate, as we've been talking about for months now, it feels like a that we're going to have a, a nail biter of an Eastern Conference final when we get there. But that's about it. I mean, I don't, I don't fear Atlanta or New York at all. And I think we're going to have. I think it and it, a series against either of them will be a lot closer to this one than it will be to whatever the Eastern Conference Finals one is. Did you see the video of the Knicks fans winning one playoff game last night and then <laughs> chanting, we want the Sixers? Oh, because I, I I know uh, the night before that, wasn't it, they want Brooklyn? I, I don't even know, man. Yeah. But, like, yeah. but, yeah, they were chanting outside of the Garden, we want the Sixers, after – Losing home home game one, they tied the series at one one and are already demanding their next opponent. Yeah, you win one playoff bro. game, man. It's crazy, bro. Uh, yeah. Knicks fans are down bad, dude. It's funny that you bring that up about the O one team because I really wanted to be like, like, man, this is better than O one, but I didn't. I was I didn't want to infect myself with recency bias. Well, but when you do bring up which part is better, is is the question. I mean. Obviously, we're only in the first round, so the the feeling of like that electric feeling isn't there yet. But I imagine it certainly will come. But you know, is this team better? Certainly. I mean, when you look at yeah. the fact that everybody knew the Lakers were winning it that year, I'm sorry. Yes. But even but even you know then we knew that we were kind of playing for second place, and we were ultimately kind of okay with it because, you know, it, it was the league was good. You beat a lot of good teams on your way there, yeah. but nobody was the Lakers. Yeah, there was no equivalent of a Tobias Harris or, I mean, we didn't even have Corver yet, so as far, we didn't have, no. like, a knockdown three on that team. No. Like, I mean, nobody really shot threes in that league no. except, like, Robert Horry. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a completely different era and style of basketball, but... 
Yeah, I mean, we didn't have answers for Shaq and Kobe. And, you know, this is kind of like a stupid exercise, but I'll say this, like, an Embiid and Simmons going up against a Lakers team like that would have a much, much better chance. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're... there's no doubt this team is significantly better. It's not really. Yeah. It's not really. But, a but I mean, just this, like, the excitement and, and dude, like, we were at game one. I mean, it did not feel like it was at 50% capacity. No. That place was on fire, dude. Fire. Like, it was just. I, and dude, the, the one thing about, um, I know we probably don't want to go uh, spend too much time on game one, but, like, dude, I, I can't think of another time when. When Embiid put up that one shot and Simmons had that put back dunk, you just saw it coming from a mile away. And it's just, it was almost orchestrated. Time everyone, slows down. Yeah, time slows down. Everyone just rose up to their feet and was just like going nuts, dude. Like it was, it was an experience, man. Yeah. Well, so the, 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 the biggest correlation to me between, you know, 01 and this year as far as the electricity has to be the, the fact that you have Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid. And Allen Iverson are, are just city icons, city legends. I mean, Embiid already is. Iverson clearly uh, has been since he entered the league. And, like, that's something that we're, you know, we talk about it all the time. And most people do. This isn't like, uh, oh, like, people aren't doing this enough. But, like, I still think that you just have to constantly remind yourself to appreciate having Joel Embiid. Yes. Because that's what can make you even enjoy a game one victory over an eight seed is having Joel Embiid, the fun that he brings, the energy that he brings. It makes every single game, even when you know it's a win, even when you know that it's just a very small step on your way to something greater, it makes it so enjoyable. It makes it so much fun. And to actually get into like the games a little bit for game one, like Embiid, it like Embiid had such a perfect game because Tobias goes for 37 and you can just tell that as far as this Wizards team, like he is actually probably the bigger matchup nightmare for them than anybody else. But Embiid, it felt like he didn't even play, and he scored 30 points. Yeah, In 30 minutes, he scores 30 points. And it just felt effortless. And it takes me to my next question for you, because now we've seen two games, and I felt like game two, I mean, obviously game two was even better for them than game one. But in both games, even with one being a little bit closer, the entire team, even down to the end of the bench guys, which in game two, we we actually got to see playoff minutes for B-Ball Paul, for Isaiah Joe. Like, I know the Wizards aren't good, but I didn't expect that really at any point. And they got some decent run. I mean, I don't think a starter came back in the fourth quarter in that game. Dude, like, the, the bench increased the lead. Yeah. We like usually it's in just, the playoffs. Yeah, like usually just any team, any sport, just try to maintain yeah, it. Hold, hold. You know, if you, if if you hold the lose door a little bit of a lead, that's fine. But you know, just status quo, keep everything as do your prevent defense or the equivalent of that. Right. And they just they had no answer for Maxi or yeah, like, Mati- we're, like we're gonna get to the bench. And dude, just me. think about it. One two years ago. We had no one on the bench. Yeah, we we went. We down had this no road. one. We went down this road. It's 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 an incredible thought. But my question to you is the the team all the way from you know guy one to guy twelve. I guess they look comfortable. They look confident. Like and even with the success they had in the regular season, I don't feel like I ever saw them playing like this where they just don't seem scared of anything. They seem like they know exactly what they're doing. Everyone seems to have 
their role perfectly defined. And if you remember last year, one of the biggest problems going toward the end of the season, going into the bubble and everything was, there was that quote from like Glenn Robinson Jr. about like, nobody knows what their role is. We don't have identities. We're not sure what our job is, which like I think was, you know, somewhat him just kind of being a douchebag. But it does seem like, obviously we've talked all season about the, the change with Doc Rivers that, you know, that there probably was some truth to that as well. My, my ultimate question to you, as it's taken me forever to get to, is, you know, the, the team, they look comfortable, they look confident. Is this sustainable? Like, is this something that's only because it's Washington and they know there's no chance? Or do you think that, you know, the time off, you know, gelling together, getting some extra practices, having everybody healthy, being the one seed, do you think that these guys really, like, are, are just, like, focused, dialed in, ready to go and, and do you, do you believe that they believe they can actually win the whole thing? Oh, I I for I for for sure think that, and it's just not me being a homer. Like we said, just this. Usually, like we said before, the team that we're afraid of the most, or at least previous to this pod, was Milwaukee, and part of, like that whole core has been together for three plus seasons now, with just some you know minor changes and. Last year, like going from last year's roster to this year's roster, we expected to compete, but we expected all these growing pains and, you know, it's going to take time and, you know, Embiid and Simmons always are injured. Like, There's so many reasons why, you, you know, you could have picked one and argued why there's going to be some chemistry issues down the line. And that just like hasn't really happened. I think it's it's a mix of a few things. One being... Doc Rivers, he's been down this road before. As much as we revere Embiid and Simmons, he's coached bigger stars. And I think also just having the, you know, the know your role. I mean, Maxie has come out and says, like, you know, he's like, I know my goal is I might get a six or eight minutes in a game, but I'm going to do what I can. And I mean, a lot of rookies don't like that, but he, he knows his role and he excels at it. Um, and I think there's also something to be said probably for the, you know, mature, you know, Embiid maturing. Just you can see it like as far as being a leader and just, you know, taking things more seriously, whether it's like him working out his diet. Like, I think it's just or him tweeting. If you're not down with the process, yes. I got two words for you. I mean, you Hashtag can't take thrust to the not, process, not do that. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and having guys like 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 a Danny Green, which I would like to remind how many people were ready to trade his yep. fucking ass at the deadline, and when when we tr- got rid of Al Horford for him, I'm just like, holy shit! Like, literally, people are just gotta, looking at this as a salary dump. It's I'm gonna like, go down as one of the greatest trades in Philadelphia yes, history. Yes, like it's almost. I was about to say it's almost like the opposite of Barkley, but then that would mean we get a superstar in return. But a lot of people are just looking at that like, oh, we'll move him at the deadline. He's getting old. I'm like, dude, like he might lost a step, but he played more minutes than anyone else this season. Yeah, I mean, I think so, he missed like one game. Yeah, and, and that was a week or two ago that he missed yeah, that like, one Which game. I think yeah. was literally just like, hey, which we can is, afford to give you a game off now finally. Yeah. He's, he's been there for you all season. So um, I have a, I have a quote I want to read for you because you're making this point. I didn't, wasn't sure when I would get to this, but comes from our friend Austin Krell at NBA Krell. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good quote, I promise. I'm not trolling you. Okay. 
Tyrese Maxey says Joel Embiid always makes sure he's involved in walkthroughs and practice activities. Says Ben Simmons is always talking to him. Reiterates that the Sixers have the best vets in the league. Wow. Dude, that's, that's that is not something. something I expected to hear this season. No. Even with all the expectations and everything, that is something I did not expect. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it is music to my ears because uh, how many times have we heard like, oh, well, Embiid and Simmons just don't like each other. They don't get along. And, dude, like, you show up to a job, you don't have to like people. You just have to work with them. You know, that's probably not even the case here. But for Maxie to come out and say something like that, that's just really reassuring, man. Because you you didn't hear anything like that the past few years. You've never heard anything about Joel Embiid taking guys under his wing, really, uh, at any point. Which, like, again, the the funny part about that is we're sitting here talking. You have a rookie now saying that they have the, the best vets in the league. Joel Embiid's twenty six and Ben Simmons is twenty four. Yeah, like they're not they're not veterans. Man. No, like it's not like yeah, it's like oh Embiid's yeah. thirty now and he's finally mentoring guys. It's like they're, you're talking about these guys now being talked about as these leaders and these superstars and these and these vets at twenty six and twenty four. Like people have always people have el- like elongated the window of the process and then shortened the window of these two superstars time and time again. Yeah. To the point where the process now was 25 years, and Ben and Joel have two years left before they both retire. Like, the narratives that, that get put out there yeah. are, are insane to me. And I I don't want to be the guy that says, well, I was right, but I like to think I was right when, around this time two years ago, Game 7 in Toronto, <sighs> that was the worst fucking dagger we've probably ever, you know, we're on the receiving end of, but... I said, dude, it fucking sucks now, but that's like that's what's going to push Embiid and motivate him. Right. And last year just didn't count, like whether Agreed. your personal life or sports. Last year is just, um, you know, twenty twenty one is the mulligan for twenty twenty. Correct. So, uh, so this is the year that we are yes. d- owed because of two years ago. Yes. Because last year everyone just got dicked. Yeah. And the and it was a Mickey Mouse championship and fuck the Lakers. Yeah. Fuck um, the Lakers. So. So we talked about the team. We talked about Tobias and Embiid. I want to talk about Ben real quick. Uh, we just talked about Oh, about him. how he didn't score enough points. He only had six points game one. Yeah, six, what an asshole. Six points with 15 assists and 15 <laughs> rebounds and then goes out last night and almost has a 22-point triple-double. Yeah. Uh, I think like a rebound and two assists shy or or vice versa. So as we, as we continue to talk about the stars on this team and also talk about how online they are, Ben tweeted out, couple great pictures uh, taken from the game last night, and all he said was, I'm just here to win. Which, if you've listened to anything Doc Rivers has said, pretty much the entire season, but especially as of late, you know, and now his teammates with, especially the week off, had a lot more media availability. You've heard the entire team talking about, like, Ben doesn't have to change anything. What Ben does is what we want. It's what the team needs. George Hill came out and said that, you know, Ben Simmons is an incredible player uh, to play with. Do you think that the way he played in game two was it just is? Do you think it's a scheme thing? Do you think he hears the noise and just wanted to shut people up? Do you think it was just the ebb and flow of the game? I mean, there is just something to be said about the fact that you only scored six points in game one. You come back against the same team with the same players and you're able to look 
that dominant. Like, you know, like what, yeah. are, you know, it. you don't have to care about it. Like you can say he had a great game in both games, which obviously I agree with. I'm sure you do as well. But, you know, what is your thought process on how his game does change that drastically? Is I, I think it's mostly from ebb and flow. We, we've seen, you know, over the years, regular seasons, there's just games where both Embiid and Simmons are playing and Ben's just stealing the show offensively. And people see that as problematic, and I see that as this is great, like knowing that both your stars on any given night can put up 20-plus points. Now, yeah, it's mostly going to be Embiid, but, I, I mean, Ben Simmons gets a lot of, I mean, most of his points driving to the basket or stealing an inbounds uh, play and, you know, going for the breakaway. Like, that's that's his game. And I think just that first quarter, because he played so well defensively, it created a lot of those opportunities for his best way of scoring. And Embiid had a a very quiet, uh, you know, first half. Uh, minus the three pointers, but you know it's it's not like there's this issue where it's like all right we have to change the scheme a little bit because uh, Ben Simmons needs some sco- you know to get some scoring here to shut up the haters like I, I I think a lot of people play or think about that too much and I just I really think like Ben Simmons just doesn't give any fucks man and if the opportunity comes his way to score he, he's going to take it. I agree. I agree with you for the, for the most part. And beat at a very quiet first quarter. I think he had like eleven in the second quarter. Okay, so. yeah. That's uh, probably when he started hitting his, his threes. Yeah. So, de- so definitely the quarter. first quarter, yeah. I, I will definitely give you with that. And that was also because Ben was just running in transition and causing havoc, which again is is all we really care about that he can do. And it's it's crazy now with what Matisse is doing defensively that I think. Ben Simmons is actually again being slept on as a defender when he should win defensive player of the year. Like you have Matisse putting up, you know, nine stocks in 20 minutes and deserves all the credit in the world for it. But Ben Simmons is still the best defender on this team to me. And I I don't think it's actually all that close because I just think he is actually that good in so many regards. And you saw him putting it on display because he single-handedly can turn it into offense, which is the big difference between him and Matisse at this point. But I think that that's a credit to uh, his, his defense just as much as it is the offense. The other thing that I'm not saying that Ben does it because of like, you know, the national media or the local media or people on Twitter. I definitely don't think that that, that really matters, even though <laughs> It sure seems like every time it happens, he does respond. The one thing that really bothered me, and it bothered me in both games, but in game one, it felt like it was directed a lot at Ben. And in game two, it just kind of felt like it made me just not like him as much as a player because I honestly think that he might be kind of soft. Is Do you remember in game one that like Ben had to take like a buzzer-beating three and Bradley Beal was like waving his nose like, oh, that shot stunk like... Bradley Beal talks a lot of shit and smiles a lot for a guy that fucking loses all the time. And this was said on the Ricky today, so I'll give them credit. And I think it was Spike's take, but boy, is it correct. If Bradley Beal does not force his way out of Washington in the offseason, then he's a fucking loser Mm -hmm. because you did your part. You tried to stay. You wanted to, you know, be loyal to the franchise. Great. Like, you got them to the playoffs this year. Basically, you know, you and Russell Westbrook carried a garbage roster, and I'll give Russ his credit in there, but obviously Beal's the main guy. But him and Russ carried a broken shell of a roster to the playoffs. Good for you. You're going to get swept. 
you're out there. Ben Simmons is dominating you on both ends of the court, and you're smiling through it all. Like, I don't care. I'm just here. Yeah. Like, dude, big loser energy. I've been a big fan of Bradley Beal for most of his career. Obviously, there's been a lot of ties to the Sixers maybe being in play for him at, at different points, and it's never come to fruition. I would, I, I still would love him here. I, I would have loved him here. But, dude, if you just keep staying in Washington and just putting up your numbers, making your money, and don't care that you're an eighth seed getting bounced by one seeds all the time, then, like, dude, you're a fucking loser. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. And I, I just kind of get the feeling that he's just – the big fish in his own little pond. And if he gets traded anywhere to a contender, he's not going to be the guy anymore. And I just wonder, he's, he just seems uh, content. And it's like, all right, I'm making a lot of million or I'm making millions of dollars. I'm the best player on this team. And that's good enough for me. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, this but, has, this has to be the time where that changes. If he doesn't do it now, right. then I think that that's definitely a fair Assertion. I mean, you you could make that point now, and I really can't argue it. But uh, I'm willing to give him now. You have to do it this year. At the very least, you know he can almost be traded to Boston. In the almost be Al- traded, almost to Boston. Congrats on winning that seven seed. Yeah, getting destroyed by the Nets. <laughs> they like the correlation between last year's Sixers and this year's Celtics. Just it continues to be incredible. Yeah. Uh, But I don't feel like talking about the Celtics. I want to continue to talk about the Sixers. The only negative that I have for this entire team right now, which is a great problem to have, is Shake Millen. Yeah. And it's not even... I really don't think it's that Shake is is playing that poorly. It's that everybody else is playing so well that... It's making him look very bad by comparison, but also that's kind of how it works, man. Like if other guys are out playing you, then they need to be getting floor time. And the two biggest names that are currently not getting enough floor time are Matisse Thibel and Tyrese Maxey. Now, Matisse Thibel is not any way, shape, or form the same player as Shake, so they they fill two different roles. But Tyrese Maxey is absolutely the same player as Shake. And there were obviously flashes in the regular season of his offense at times. But he's on a whole other level right now. No, I, no rookie has ever gotten this good this late into their rookie season in my entire life. I swear to God. Like, Do you remember Matisse's rookie season and everyone talking about him hitting a wall midway yeah. through? And it was, like, right before the COVID thing, he was looking really bad. Then the COVID thing happens, and then he didn't look great in the bubble either, which, like, that is understandable. Anybody would not look, you know, good after that layoff and everything. Not going to give it, especially a rookie, not going to give a rookie any any issues with that. But we were talking about it during the regular season before the COVID stuff happened that he had hit a wall. Like, a lot of rookies hit that wall. And then you look for a second-year jump, a third-year jump, things like that. Like, Maxie's making that leap now and even in the playoffs. Uh, Tom West, who we reference a lot on this, a great uh, Twitter follow for the NBA and for the Sixers especially, had this stat. Tyrese Maxie in his last 11 games has 35 assists to only eight turnovers. Wow. So we're talking about a kid and we're just like, oh, he can score, he can score, he can score. That assist to turnover ratio is incredible. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, fuck the assists. Eight turnovers in 11 games with with 
you know, with how he's been playing, is very impressive for a rookie who handles the ball a decent amount when he's out there. I know he gets a lot of garbage time, but even when he does, he's handling the ball a lot. So, you know, that's a whole lot of ways to say, Steve, I mean, is, is Shake in trouble? Is Maxi really looking to, to actually be a significant role player in the next round? If not further, but at least in the next round. Yes, I think... Uh... And you made a really good point that he probably looks a lot worse than he actually is because of how well everyone else is playing. Um, I There's part of me that I think he could lose his minutes, but on the other hand, I don't know if Doc will do that with a, a veteran guy like Shake and, you know... A veteran guy? Yeah, well... Yeah, I guess he's not a veteran. He's been around the team for what seems like a million years now. But I mean, he uh, was in the G League two years ago. Was it? No. Okay, well, I take all that back then. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, th- I think it could happen. And, you know, it's kind of unfair to hold it to him because, like, I, I, I just said that last year didn't count. But um, <laughs> Shake didn't look great at all last year's playoffs. And... So, and I think one other thing too that kind that sort of helps is let's not forget Tyrese Maxey came from Kentucky, and I know you you can't really make a lot of uh, comparisons between the college and NBA in this regard, but Kentucky's one of those few s- schools where they're they're regularly playing in front of like twenty thousand people. He's used to that big environment and everything, so I think maybe being in the playoffs such. Maybe that just doesn't bother him or make him nervous or anything like that. So, I mean, at this rate, uh, again, you know, a team like Washington, it's fine. But we go next round to New York, and if, you know, Shakes, you know, I mean, uh, dude, he really pissed me off the other night. He did. But, I mean, if he if that's how he keeps playing, like, I, I think Doc has no other choice but to put Maxie in his place. Yeah, and we we're talking about Maxi and Thibel at length here. Um, so I have I have a quote from each of them on the other. So uh, oh, okay. Matisse and Thib- uh, Matisse and Maxi are like really. It seems like they're really like becoming a thing. And the funny thing is, they are the perfect complement to each other's games. With Maxi being this like aggressive offensive force, and Matisse being like the most havoc wreaking defensive player we may have ever seen. Uh, so one uh, Tyrese Maxey on feeding off Matisse Stiebel. This comes from I'll probably butcher the pronunciation. I'm sorry, Surgeon Kumas, who is definitely the guy to follow for Sixers Twitter if you're a Furkan guy because he's like the only guy that speaks uh, Turkish. Oh, okay. So he's he generally gets a lot of uh, content from Furkan because he can talk to him in oh Furkan, nice in Turkish. But um, this has nothing to do with Furkan, but. The uh, Tyrese Maxey on feeding off Matisse Thibel quote, I want to do those same things, just how disruptive he is. I've been watching film. It's amazing to be out there with him. And then, so from Lauren Rosen, who works for the Sixers and always has a ton of incredible quotes. Uh, if you don't follow her, she's definitely a must follow. Matisse Stiebel on his partnership with Tyrese Maxey. That's our jobs. He brings it on the offensive end, and I'm supposed to bring it on the defensive end. Thibault adds that he celebrates Maxi's defensive moments while Maxi celebrates his offensive ones. So just two young kings motivating each other, working with each other. And you saw uh, last night that uh, Maxi had that like block from behind, that patented Matisse Thibault block from yeah. behind. 
And like these guys are all feeding into each other. Like we we talked earlier in the season about Ben and Matisse kind of feeding off each other defensively and pushing each other. Now you have Maxi and Matisse pushing each other. You know, we gave credit to the vets and credit is definitely due in that end. But now you 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 have this culture where even the young guys are just working with each other, pairing with each other, making each other better, feeding off each other. It's wild, man. It's just fucking insane. Yeah, and again, it's it, it's weird. Uh, this just takes some getting used to because we're used to Sixers rookies like being drafted and then almost dying to death from a peanut to never see the floor. <laughs> or okay, or those twenty eight seconds that he played at the end of a quarter of a playoff game. Um, but it's it's awesome. I'm, I am here for the Tyrese and the Matisse. You know, this a little brotherhood that's forming. It, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, of The Office, that one episode when Andy and Dwight, they're just, like, kind of one-upping each other on how nice and kind they are. <laughs> like, I feel like... Oh, is that the one where uh, Dwight gives everyone, like, bagels? Right. And wants a favor in return? Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah, so th- that's what it kind of <laughs> reminds me of. And, dude, like, what's weird, especially in the NBA, is... When you're one of a few, one of few rookies or really young players on a team, you're competing against each other for minutes, and then once you become an actual veteran, someone who's been in a league for say ten years, well, you're competing so that the young guy doesn't steal your minutes. And a lot of times, there's just these kind of I don't say rivalries, but just there's this uh, competition amongst the team where, as Brett Brown would call it, the you know the mini tournament. Um, and it's just nice to see that two players, rather than just like kind of competing or stealing one another spotlight, they're you know working together. They're admiring each other. They're trying to take things from the other player. You don't really see that in much teams, let alone rookies. Well, dude, it's, it's kind of like stepbrothers when they start going to jobs <laughs> and interviewing together. Yeah. It's like you have to hire us both. They are here to fuck shit up. <laughs> oh man, that's really really good. Um, so we, we we talked about Maxi potentially getting more minutes, and it seems like that could very well come at the expense of Shake Milton. We're talking about Matisse Stiebel. Matisse only played 20 minutes. He had four steals and five blocks in 20 minutes, which is having four steals and five blocks in a playoff game is, is incredible no matter what. He does it in 20 minutes. We have always been pro Danny Green, and I think Danny Green is playing fine. But like, is is does Matisse need to play more? Or do you think that him not having to extend those minutes is able to let him just thrive in his role and you know expend all that energy to cause this chaos? Because when you're seeing these numbers, it seems hard to not get him out there more. But especially for his role, like at the expense of who, really has to be the question. And and I just don't think that you want to play a guy like Danny Green any less, even if it seems like on paper Matisse is is maybe doing a little bit more. I, I just don't know. I, on, I honestly don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. I, I, don't ha- I don't have an answer for this. I'm hoping you do. Yeah, I, I mean, 20 minutes doesn't seem like a whole ton of time, but given how much he impacts the game in those short amount of time, I don't, I don't think you necessarily need to have him more than 20 minutes a game. And obviously, Danny Green just offers, you know, way more offensively. And, and yes, he just tries to, every play, it seems like he's just trying to get open for that corner three. But that's not a shot that Matisse has. I think, if anything, 
keep Matisse where he is now, let him get comfortable. And I think what's just going to happen, you're not going to see this year in the playoffs. I think essentially he's going to be more or less groomed to take Danny Green's place if he doesn't resign next year. So I don't want to have increased expectations for him now. I think he's in a really good spot now, and I think we could see that next year. Yeah, I mean, Danny only played 22 in this one as well. So, I mean, yeah. this is obviously a weird game to talk about guys' minutes because they blew them out. The the thing for, not not that I want to talk about next year very much, but you make a great point. I think we've talked about it on the show a little bit that obviously I really want them to re-sign Danny, not only because of his veteran presence, but he could, and like if you can get him maybe on a one-year deal, he, it also could just be a valuable contract at the deadline, a right. salary to move. But there is a reality where, you know, this team is is equally good, if not better, next year with Matisse starting and Danny as the backup wing. Yeah. And, like, whichever way you do that, I don't think ultimately matters. I think, honestly, even this year, like, you could probably start Matisse and, and have Danny come off the bench, and it probably doesn't change much. But Yeah, I, and, and I think my one fear, you know, it might be a little irrational, is that if you give them more minutes, I think teams are going to realize when they look at the tape, okay, this – this guy's a monster on defense, but we're going to force him to take some really bad shots or right. we're going to make it, you know, really, really difficult on him. And I feel like it's those kind of moments where a lot of young players or rookies, they they hit a – they go in a little bit of a slump or a wall, For whatever sure. you want to call it. And that's kind of why it's – you know, I, I – it's not like I'm, – I'm not, you know uh, – saying that they just need to be status quo with him. But I think, you know, you don't want to expose him too much. Yeah, the long, like if he plays more minutes, it's going to mean that the stretches he's out there are, are longer intervals. And the longer you're out there for the same period of time, the more a team can like actually implement an adjustment and, and you know, like exploit you a little bit. Yeah. So, so I think that that's the case. And again, like I'm sure he doesn't have any issue with athleticism or conditioning or anything, right. but I do think there's something to say that like, if you're going to be that active on defense, it's probably a lot harder to do for 30 minutes than 20 minutes. I think yeah, it's that's nice a big be, difference. I think it's nice to go out there for maybe, you know, three, six to seven minute shifts and just say, all right, like go crazy because you know, you're going to get another 10 minutes off, you know, 10 to 15 minutes off. But Go out there for six minutes and just be an absolute fucking nightmare. Yeah. And clearly that works for him. Um, so the the only other question I have for you, Stephen, we, we don't know anything about this yet. Last night, Seth Curry didn't return. Obviously, it was a blowout, and they announced him as questionable to return. So it stands to reason that if the game actually mattered, that he probably could have come back if he wanted to and they felt good about it. No reason to force it, but... We technically don't know. Uh, he could be available for game three. They could sit him, whether it's precautionary because they feel like they can get by without him, or he's actually you know hurt enough that he has, has to miss some time. So whatever the case may be, if Seth doesn't play, who are you slotting in as 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 the fifth starter? Because we, we've just spent most of this episode talking about how great a lot of the bench guys have been and can be. Uh, we didn't even talk about George Hill or Farrakhan Korkmaz. We, we even saw Isaiah Joe minutes in garbage time. Obviously, I don't think he's going to be no, your answer no, no. here. But, you know, they're, they're a good problem to have. You have a lot of pretty suitable replacements. Uh, you could throw a, a Max or a Matisse in there. So, Steve, if you have to replace Seth Curry as a starter for game three, where are you going and why? George Hill is going to be the answer that everyone gives. Oh, okay. And I'm not just trying to suck up to the host here, but come on. Furcon. Thank you. Because, look, Seth Curry, 
him and Furkan are definitely different players. Are they? But but what they have in common is the ability to just get hot, to get streaky in a good way. And we ha- we have some Seth Curry games where he's just not hitting shit. And then there's games where he goes, you know, five for seven from three. And so that's what we expect from him. And I think Furkan can give you very, very similar uh, results. And he is, a, in my opinion, a slight improvement over Seth Curry defensively. Uh, he's definitely bigger. So, and I think it's, I think guys like, you know, Hill, Maxine, Theibel, they're, they've been really good because they know their role in that coming off the bench. And I think that's important. And a lot of times in these kind of scenarios, when a starter gets hurt, people just, you know, won't, are going to want to say, oh, it's the next guy up. We got to get the best player in the bench. Like, like it's, it's, it's not always like that, I don't think. And so I, I, that's why I'm going with Furcon, man. I've talked about it a lot of times this season that I think Korkmaz plays much better as a starter as well. And I'll give you this. He started 11 games this season. In those games, he shot 37% from three. He averaged just shy of 13 points a game, over two assists, over two rebounds, and almost a steal and a half. Wow. At less than a turnover a and, game. And that's when he starts. That's when he starts. 11 games start. I mean, and they got to be comparable numbers to Curry, right? Sure. Like, I mean, as far as the points go, at least. I think, uh, yeah, I think Seth only averages like 12 a game. Yeah. But my point is that Farrakhan as a starter, you have a sample size of him doing it, which means he's also familiar with the guys. And yeah, when you talk about how short a tenure a lot of these guys have with each other still, Furk's been here with a lot of these guys for a couple years now. He's been with Embiid. He's been with Simmons. So you know he he we we know that him and uh, Embiid have, have played have had some you know run together. We we people have talked about the idea, obviously, like in the off season and stuff, of Furkan being a guy that could you know maybe fulfill that kind of JJ Redick role with Embiid, which you know it's not the same thing. And we obviously yeah. haven't seen much of it, but he he's that type of player. So you're right. He's very much like Seth. He's obviously a guy that is willing to shoot, capable of shooting, can get very hot. And I think that's super important with that starting lineup is that around Tobias, Ben, and Embiid, you have Danny and Seth who are both elite three-point shooters. So I think you want a guy to do that. And the only elite three-point shooter on the bench is Furkan Korkmaz. Yes. And maybe Isaiah Joe. But um, this has nothing to do with me wanting Korkmaz to be the starter, but that was obviously going to be my answer. I'm glad it was yours, whether you're pandering or not. Uh, I'll take your word. That, <laughs> that was not. the word I was looking for, pandering. Oh, yeah. I thought that's what you said. Oh. Um, but another Lauren Rosen uh, tweet with a quote, this is Matisse on Ferk because we've talked a lot about the fact that, you know, Ferk's going to be a free agent and it's going to break my heart. And I actually got teary eyed the first time I read this. Matisse Seibel on Ferk on Korkmaz quote, Ferk is my brother. We've gotten a lot closer this year. Ferk is a good guy and probably one of my best friends. Aww. Like, come on, man. I can't I can't do this right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I burnt my foot today. Very, <laughs> very emotional. But man, like the vibes are impeccable. The chemistry is unreal. They're sweeping the wizards. In three games. In three games. You told me when we were talking about our rundown that you wanted to know if we can win this series in three games. Is there 
Is there any reason why you you just don't want to watch anymore? I mean, if they just forfeit, I mean, technically, I mean, dude, this Washington team is fucking garbage. Like, and, and what? And imagine if Russ doesn't play. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. If Russ doesn't play, it's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah. It really might. Yeah, it's going to be like Sixers 120, Wizards 80. 60 points will come from Beal. <laughs> he'll get another 60 points, but. And he'll be smiling the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, you, have, have, you can enjoy that record. You'll love to see it. Yeah. Steve, anything else before we go? Oh, Bertans with four first oh, half fouls. Oh, man. That was the guy that always fucking kills us, man. Who, ah, uh, just to, uh, to, to witness him fouling out a game was, was, very, was very delightful. Did you see there was a graphic with his stat line? I, I have to I have to find this to, to give proper credit. I don't the graphic is probably I don't know here it is. So the graphic has him zero points, zero assists, <laughs> zero steals, zero blocks, six fouls, twenty four minutes. But this was tweeted by uh, Straight O Hangin. I don't know. Good luck. Mm. Said me at work on the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> That's the, oh, that's perfect. That's the level of productivity employers should be expecting tomorrow. That's an elite tweet. Elite tweet. So, yeah. So, I'm watching the game last night at Dom's, and I see Bertans take, like, an on-the-move, like, 26, 27-foot three-pointer from the top of the arc and just brick it. And yeah. I'm like, this is a guy that's never missed against us before. Nope. And this is what he looks like right now. We have talked about fearing him. We have talked about acquiring him. Mm -hmm. And then this happens. What a fall from grace, man. Yeah. If if again, it, it's it's weird because we're just so opposite, or we're so used to worst case scenario right. with people. Exactly what I wanted to say. If you needed one, like if I had to pick one thing that says, I think the cards may be in our favor. That might have been it. Yeah. That dude looking that bad after his career against us to this point is I, – I, if, if that doesn't answer any and all questions for you, then I'm not sure what does. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it was, it, it was nice. I think he even airballed a three at one point. Probably. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it happened regardless if that's the truth or not. So I'm just going to say that. And like you said, man, everything's sort of falling into place. And, dude, if, if we face the Knicks in the next round, I, I mean, it's going to be a little tougher than Washington. But does a, does a most improved player of the year, Julius Randle, scare you? No. No. And he's playing like garbage, too. Yeah. And it just seems like Thibodeau's teams kind of flame out in the second round. Oh, maybe the first round. Mm, I talked yeah. about I talked about it a couple pods ago. It it scares me that they didn't look great going in. And I said that like when you lead the league in minutes, that's what's going to happen. You're 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 going to be yeah. You gotta work smart, not hard. People should know this with Thibodeau by now. This is literally, the, it's like, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the mm -hmm. same thing over and over and expecting different results. Yeah, we've been talking about this guy for years. This is what he does, and you know, good for New York. You had a great regular season. I promise you, you don't want this. No, you can't no. have it. 
You can't, do you want this? You can't have it. And one of your two fucking baseball teams already has 87 World Series titles. So oh I have no sympathy oh, for wait, Knicks. Did or you see fans. that apparently there was like at the garden last night, there was like pamphlets about Trey Young balding. And giving all the fans. I don't know, man. Those fans are fucking crazy right wow, now. Wow, that's... I mean, it's kind of surprising, but then again, look at the the, the New York newspapers and the type and of the shit headlines that, the Knicks get versus the Nets. Yeah, yeah, you love to see it. Yeah, you love to see it. Anything else before we go, Steve? Nope, I I think we covered it all, man. All right, remember the Instagram contest we talked about at the top of the episode. Go to the Instagram, like the post, share your story, tag the three friends you would take. You can win four tickets to the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. June 5th, the 12 o'clock noon session. It's four hours. You drink for free. Less than Jake. Suicide Machines are your headlining bands. Outdoors in June. And like I say, it's going to be an awesome fucking time. We'll free be at tickets. Every it's going to be the first time a lot of people go to a big outdoor event like this. Yep. And uh, Murphy out. Murphy just removed the mask restrictions uh, for things like that. So I'm pretty sure the whole thing is mask free. If you don't want to wear it, obviously you can still wear it if you want. I'm bringing mine. That's just me. Do whatever you want. Come up. If you're vaccinated, give us a high five or an elbow bump or something. Don't hug me because I don't trust any of you still. But (laughs) um, we'll be there. Come hang out. Going to be an awesome time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for supporting. We will talk to you guys. I think we're going to do a pod Tuesday. That's when we'll also – it'll be on Twitch as well. We'll announce the winners of this contest. So get your friends to do it. Uh, Even if you tag your friends, if they do it, again, that's another entry. So – you know, your group of four could get four entries into it. It's not, not asking that much. Follow Process Potables on Instagram. Like the post. Share it to your story. Tag the three friends you want to take. These tickets are like like 70 bucks a piece, man. So you're talking about like yeah. $300 worth of tickets. It's, it's going to be awesome. Think about when you go to a game at the Wells Fargo Center, like three beers cost out of much money. Yeah, basically. Yeah, so. Yeah. Fortunately, I don't think I had to pay for any beers on Sunday because I was asleep. Oh, yeah. Fucking lot clear, bro. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and trust the podcast. (laughs) That is the wrong day. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Whatever. You can edit that out. No. Oh. Not going to do it. Thank you.